Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 49 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 15th of August, 2010, entitled God, the Holy Spirit, Part 11. The Bible reading is taken from Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22 to 26. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Galatians chapter 5, we'll be reading verses 22 through 26. I do invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's precious and holy word, beginning in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this wonderful privilege and opportunity we have to be in your house today. Help us, Lord, not to take that lightly. Help us to realize, Lord, the price that has been paid most of all and foremost by our Lord Jesus Christ. Then, Lord, by many that have gone before us, Lord, that we can gather here today and have the freedoms that we have, and have this place to come apart from the world and to be able to worship you. Father, we thank you for each one that is here. We pray your hand of blessing would be upon them. We thank you for your word from which we've just read, for your spirit that we've read about that lives and dwells within us. And Lord, that he is here today to be able to take these words and make them alive into our hearts. Lord, you know the need of each individual here today. We pray, Lord, that you would take and meet those needs as only you can through your power and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As we continue today in our study On the Holy Spirit, of course, we are still looking at the importance of contending for the faith, contending for that faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And of course, as we progressed in this series on contending for the faith, we began to look at some of the very fundamentals, the foundation those things that are cardinal to that faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And as we look today, I think the 49th sermon in our series, the 11th part on God, the Holy Spirit. In looking at the Holy Spirit, we've looked at the promise, the person, the purpose, the practice, and last week we touched on the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, I want to move on to what I'm simply calling the presentation. The presentation. What do you mean, preacher? Well, in other words, if the promise of Jesus, which it was him that made the promise, if the promise of Jesus to send the person of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of continuing the work of Christ in and through every believer, every child of God, through the practice of the initial baptism of the Holy Spirit and then that continual work of the filling of the Holy Spirit resulting in the power of God Himself 
being channeled through the believer, as we saw last week in a miraculous and martyrdom type of power, if all this is not just something we know about and we read about and we know the terminology about, but if it's a reality in the believer's life, how is the Holy Spirit going to present himself through the believer? How will you be able to see it? How will you know that a life is truly filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God? How will he be seen? How can you see him presented in your own life? You see, there's a lot of hype and a lot of emotionalism. And folks, I like to be happy. And I like if something's real, sometimes it tends to affect my emotions. Sometimes I cry, sometimes I laugh, sometimes I scream or shout, but we all have emotions. And if our Christian faith is real, it ought to affect our emotions. But we're not talking about something that we can build up and work up ourselves. I'm talking about today. How can we know that it's the Holy Spirit himself, the person of God, that is being seen through a life? Well, we saw first of all in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. We looked there last week. And, of course, we see that, again, this was the final promise and the parting words of the Lord Jesus Christ just before they saw him ascend back into heaven. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 said, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the othermost part of the earth. Now, as the Lord was speaking these words to probably 120 or so people that were gathered with them there at this time, we find that when looking at this verse, we saw that this was a miraculous, divine, a power that could only come from God himself coming into a person. And we saw that the result of that would be that that person here says will be a witness unto Jesus at home, all around the area, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, anywhere and everywhere that that life is, he will be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. He will be willing, we saw that that word means to stand up and to tell the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter the price, no matter the cost, even if it meant his own death. The word witness there comes from the same word that we get our word martyrs from. When we looked through the scriptures earlier at the purpose and the practice of the Holy Spirit and when we look particularly at what precisely was accomplished in the lives of those that were baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, one thing that stood out continuously was this thing of boldness. 
boldness in their life, boldness in their witness. And of course, that being consistent with what we saw as being a result of that power that had been promised to come upon them. So we can certainly conclude that from what we've seen already that the presentation of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life, it will be seen for one thing in this boldness. Boldness to take a stand for the truth of Jesus Christ no matter what the circumstances and no matter what the cost. The flesh won't do that, but the Spirit will. And that is a clear presentation of the Holy Spirit. But I must say, people can be pretty bold for other reasons as well. Matter of fact, people can be very bold in their sin. People can be very bold in their proclamation of error and heretical teachings and preachings. How? Why? Well, one reason people are bold sometimes is fear. Fear. There's a lot of people out there. They may fear the consequences of not being bold, of not doing what they're doing. Have you ever had those people knock on your door that are known as Jehovah's Witnesses? Do they have the truth? No. Are they bold in their witness? Yes. Why? Because they're proclaiming a work salvation. They're doing what they're doing because of the fear of the consequences of not doing it. They're out there, and yes, they're bold, and I wish to God that more Christians were as bold and out there and proclaiming their faith, but they're proclaiming error, even though some of them have a genuine love for God. They've just never been told the real truth about how to get to that God. What I'm saying is boldness is a clear presentation of the Holy Spirit but that's not the only reason that people will be bold. They'll do it for fear. They'll also do it for fortune, <laughs> greed. <laughs> in other words, people can be pretty bold in a situation where doing so can bring them considerable monetary gain. <laughs> where something that's going to do something for them, even to the point of not only presenting falsehoods to people, you know that... I'm not sure. I've never looked for the survey since I came to this country. <laughs> but I know in the United States of America, you know, the two least trusted professions in all of those that people worked, car salesmen and insurance salesmen. <laughs> nobody believed they'd possibly tell the truth no matter what usually. And nobody trusted them. Why? Because they'd tell you what they needed to tell you in order to sell you a profit to make money. But sadly, folks, there are many that stand up in pulpits on platforms around the world. And they not only say things that oftentimes they know are false, but they'll boldly, just absolutely, they'll get up there and they'll put forth evidences and proofs that are nothing more than fakes and hypocrisies. Why? They're bold because of the monetary gain that it can bring to them many times. Fear, fortune, another reason, Fame. People like to be known. They like for other people to know their name. Some will boldly proclaim anything. It'll get their name out there to where other people will see it. 
It'll bring them any kind of popularity and fame in man's eyes, and they're willing to do whatever they need to. The point I'm making is that the Holy Spirit, when He is present in a life, and when He is truly controlling a believer's life, it will most certainly produce boldness, a boldness that is needed, that must be had in order to stand tall, to proclaim the truth about Jesus Christ, no matter what, no matter what the consequences, no matter what the result, no matter what the cost. But boldness in and of itself is not always a presentation of the Holy Spirit. Boldness can come from self. Boldness can come from Satan. Boldness can come for all the wrong reasons just as well as the right. How can we know that it's truly of God, that it's truly through the Holy Spirit because of something else we saw that will help us too. Because one thing we saw as a true result of a Spirit-filled life was not just boldness, but it was that thing we called holiness. You see, a life is going to be different. We've seen that another way, another presentation of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life will be seen in holy living as the power of Christ works within that individual, you see, it's impossible. Mark it down, capitalize it, make it bold, put it whatever color you want. It is impossible for anyone, any human being, anywhere within themselves to be able to live righteously and holy in the flesh and in the power of self. However, we've seen that the Holy Spirit's presence and His control in a life will present Himself through a holy lifestyle that is only possible in Christ. God commands us to be holy as He is holy. And He's the one that makes the possibility of this to be known through the Holy Spirit. He gives us the strength from within. In the simplest form, the presentation of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life is the fulfillment of the promise of Christ whereby the very person and purpose of Christ himself through this practice of the baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit produces by the sheer power of God this visible presentation of Christ himself, whereby it is Christ himself that is seen in the believer's life and Christ himself that accomplishes his work for the glory of Christ alone. It's also worthy to note when we began this part on the filling of the Holy Spirit, we began with Ephesians chapter 5, where that there was a command. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 18, the Word of God told us, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, 
speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's worthy to note that when we looked at this command to be filled with the Spirit that's given to every child of God, that in the very same sentence, if you'll notice in your Bibles, there's no period from where I begin until you get to the end of where I read. All those verses are one sentence, one main thought. And as we look there, that in that same sentence, there are at least four ways in which the feeling of the Holy Spirit will be presented and evidenced in those that obey this command. The first one is in praise. He says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Speaking to yourselves. That's something that can be heard. You see, this is an outward expression that should come from every spirit-filled believer of our praise to the Lord. Praise should be a natural response for one that is filled with the Spirit. We shouldn't have to work it up and get it up. It's something that should just automatically, naturally be there when we're being controlled by that Spirit. That we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs coming from our lips in praise to our God. Not only praise, but I believe worship. You see, singing and making melody here, what does it say? In your heart. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You see, it's not just that that comes out. This is an inward expression of a true attitude of worship that can only come from the heart. We can't. It is impossible to worship God. He says, they that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. It is impossible to do that in the flesh. It is impossible to do that outwardly if nothing has taken place inwardly. For one that is spirit-filled, there should be this inward attitude of worship in the heart. All true worship must originate there, and it should be a natural response. So for one that's filled with the Spirit of God, praise and worship, should come natural from them. They shouldn't have to come to church and have somebody try to work it up in them. They should come because of who he is and all that he's done. They should be able to worship in their hearts. They're so joyful. They're so thankful that it's just a natural thing. They look forward to praising and worshiping him. Notice the next one also, not only praise and worship, but here we have thanksgiving. Giving thanks. Oh, listen to this. Always for all things. Woo! You ever had anything in your life that you found it just a little bit difficult to be thankful for? Well, unless you're going to tell me a lie, you're going to shake your head yes. That's not easy. As a matter of fact, in yourself, there's some things that you would never be able to be thankful for. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When a true child of God is truly 
filled with the Spirit of God. It will be evidenced in an attitude of thankfulness, not just in the things that he likes, not just in the things that he understands, but he says, always, for all things. That includes the things you don't like too. It includes the things that you absolutely do not understand. No matter how much you look at it, no matter how much you think about it, it just doesn't make any sense. It includes the things that are hard. It includes the things that just totally, completely interrupt and disrupt all those wonderful plans you had made for your life. The things that on the surface can't make any sense of them. You see, do you realize, do you remember where Paul was when he was writing these words to the church at Ephesus? He was actually under arrest himself, awaiting under house arrest to go to trial. Why? Because of the stand that he had taken for the truth. When the Spirit is in control, you see, when from your heart you honestly trust God in all things pertaining to your life, you will genuinely be thankful Always, in all things, because even when you don't like it, and even when you don't understand it, even when it makes no sense to you whatsoever, even when it hurts deeper than anything has ever hurt you before, you can have complete faith in Him. You can have complete faith in His promise. You can have complete faith that when He said, all things work together for good, all things work together for good, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. We've looked at that verse before. <laughs> All doesn't leave out anything. There is absolutely nothing that can come into your life that's out of God's control. You see, thankfulness in all things can only come natural. When a person is filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, when self has been gotten out of the way, praise, worship, thanksgiving. This next one's pretty tough in the flesh too. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Of course, we all must be submissive to God, but he goes to great detail to show us that also in the relationships of life, we all have someone that we need to be submissive to. From the next verse, verse 22, right through the next chapter, verse 9 of the next chapter, we're given examples of this submissiveness in relationships as it relates to husband and wife, as it relates to parents and children, as it relates to masters and slaves, employees and their bosses, right along with the responsibilities that go with the one that's being submitted to. Folks, just remember, it's not usually easy in the flesh for many people to submit to someone that has the responsibility or the authority or whatever over the situation. But for the Spirit-filled Christian, 
That's a natural response. To be submissive one to another, to those who are in that position of responsibility or authority. Now, these things in mind, I want to give you two other, but all I can do is just try to quickly skim the surface of one of them this morning. Examples that Scripture gives us of how the Holy Spirit presents himself in the life of the believer. These are things that should be visible in the life of every believer that has the Holy Spirit living within him, where that Holy Spirit is the one that's in control. Christ is going to be seen. He's going to be presented clearly through the work of the Holy Spirit through two areas. One, we call the fruits of the Spirit. And secondly, the gifts of the Spirit. Now, we read our reading earlier in Galatians chapter 5. We read about the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces naturally fruit that is characteristic of Christ himself. You see, these attributes, these graces, or whatever you want to call them here, they are commanded and they're expected of Christians throughout the Word of God but they're only truly attainable in their fullness through the power of the Holy Spirit, through something that is beyond ourselves. The Holy Spirit must have control of that life, and then these fruits will naturally be present in your attitude towards God and those around you. I've used that illustration before. God doesn't give us these examples for nothing He's using the example of fruits here, a fruit tree we all know about. Fruit grows naturally on a healthy fruit tree, and the fruit will be the natural fruit for the kind of tree that it is. I've said before, and, 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 and you know, I mean, it's totally ludicrous and silly. Nobody's ever been out. How many of you have seen a fruit tree before? Orange tree, apple tree, any kind of tree that grows fruit on it. How many of you, when you've seen that tree, have ever heard one of them grunting and groaning and trying to make that fruit come out? Anybody ever heard it? Anybody ever seen that tree jumping up and down and swinging back and forth and doing whatever that it could to try to make that fruit come out on it? What happens if the tree is healthy? The fruit just comes naturally. The fruit comes naturally as a result of it being a healthy tree. Anybody ever seen an orange tree that suddenly decided to start growing bananas? Just to be different. Just to do something, you know, different with their lives. (laughs) Or maybe, you know, a, a, a grapevine that suddenly decided it was time to put on cherries instead. Why? Because can only bring forth after its own kind. That's the way it started when God created it in the Garden of Eden. Guess what? It's no different in our spiritual life. It's no different whatsoever. You see, the Bible says here, but the fruit of the Spirit, that which is going to come naturally of its own kind, which is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, <laughs> 
The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, I could preach a sermon on each one of these fruits, but I won't do that to you this morning. <laughs> love. The word here, the one that's used most for love in the New Testament, that agape love. Agape love. It's not the love of emotions. It's not the love of physical attraction. It's not even the brotherly love of friendship or family bonds. It's a first of all, it's a love that is a choice. It is a love that holds such deep affection, such devotion and respect. But this love is completely and totally self-sacrificing, willing to serve rather than to be served. This agape love is the word that is used. And you know, it's amazing. <laughs> you can read back through all of the different eras of Christian history. And one thing that men have always struggled with the Greek and the Hebrew to all the different English translations and all these, they've always struggled with the right word to use where when talking about God's love. Because no matter what we do, we can never fully describe it. But what we see here is that a natural fruit, something that will just naturally come forth from a spirit-filled life is that of this agape love. Not only love, but the next one he says is joy. It speaks of a, of a cheerfulness. It speaks of a, a calm delight or a, a great gladness. It speaks of being exceedingly joyful. In other words, it's not just being all right and just being able to put up with something. I mean, it's a joy that comes from within. The Bible speaks another place of a joy that is unspeakable. <laughs> You just can't describe it. It's a joy that it's not based on surrounding circumstances, but it's based on something far more concrete, like the divine promises of God, like having utter, complete confidence in His sovereignty and His control of the situation, no matter what it is. It literally carries with it this sense of of well-being as a consequence of everything being just as it ought to be between you and God. Nothing hindering that relationship. This joy is present even in the most difficult and challenging situations and circumstances of life. It's a gift of God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's not something that you can manufacture, something that you can do, something that you can artificially make. It is the result of that which is within. It is a result of being content and thankful for the blessings that are already yours. You've got so much to have this inward calm about no matter what bad things seem to be happening right now, a fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and thirdly, peace. The word translated peace here is it's believed to have come from a root verb that means literally to join. Does that make sense when you think about making peace, of joining things together? 
It denotes a oneness. It even denotes a, a quietness which goes with this idea of setting at one again, something that's been at odds, something that's been in turmoil, but it's brought to oneness and quietness once again. It speaks of binding together that relates to having it all together. It's an inner calm that again comes as the result of an inner relationship with Christ rather than the outward circumstances of life. It comes from the confidence of your oneness with Christ that only a spirit-filled believer can truly know. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Just as it says, for the Steve, it's to suffer long. We might put it in other words to say to have patience. The ability to show patience with even someone, another person, in light of the fact that they may actually be giving you pain and injury. The ability the willingness to accept that which is uncomfortable, that which is irritating, that which is even painful to you. To willingly and patiently suffer long for the sake of others, for the sake of Christ. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. Gentleness. What does gentleness mean? Just what it says. To be gentle. It speaks of being gentle and kind. It's to show tender concern, if you would, for others. Not just something that's made up. We're talking about something that comes from within that genuinely cares about the other one and, the, and wants to be kind and wants to be gentle and to show them no matter what they've done wrong to show that kindness, goodness, goodness. It speaks of virtue. It speaks of beneficence. It speaks of a moral and spiritual excellence. That's going to be shown through goodness, through kindness. You see, in fact, everything about the believer's life should exemplify goodness. This should be a natural fruit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. It's interesting when you look up this word faith. It's one primary word. There's a few other words in very minute instances that is translated faith in our Bibles, but it's all over the Bible. You know, this is that same faith that is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's that same faith that without it, the Bible says, we cannot please God. It's that same faith that the Bible says, even in a small amount, will move great mountains. It's that in which the Bible says, we will see those prayers answered. 
It speaks of the conviction and the confidence in God and all that he says. It speaks of that belief in the Lord Jesus Christ that each and every one of us finds is the only pathway for by grace are you saved through faith. It's that same faith, the only one that's a pathway to God's grace. You've got to believe him if you're going to get to him. It also speaks of a constancy, what we might say faithfulness. How can we have and show anything other than absolute belief, trust, faith, when it's Christ himself that's living within us, if he's in control? Faith is going to come natural. We trust him. We believe him. We've got absolute confidence in him. It's also that same faith that we begin this series in, that faith that we're to contend for, which entails all of the beliefs that we base our faith upon. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. Meekness speaks of humility. Speaks of a humble, gentle, and meek spirit of attitude. Meekness doesn't mean weakness. The Lord Jesus Christ had to, had to drive the carpetbaggers out. I find that it does carry with it a patient submission to the will of God. It carries with it the idea of not seeking revenge or retribution when one's been wrong. Used in Scripture to describe the attitudes of submission to the will of God, of not being a know-it-all but being teachable, the Spirit of God. And it's used in speaking of our consideration for others. It's really just a humble person. They're still standing for what's right, but in a spirit of meekness, not to make a name for themselves, not with self-pride, but in humility. The Lord Jesus Christ was our greatest example of humility when he humbled himself come and die for us. And the ninth fruit, temperance. Temperance. We might call it self-control. It's a restraining, a tempering, a restraining of those passions and those Appetites that are common to the flesh. If you would, it's being able to keep me under control. Being able to keep the flesh under control. Which we know that the Apostle Paul talked about many times in many places in Scripture. He had to keep it under subjection. When the Spirit is in control of a life, it is the natural consequence is the fruit of the Spirit, which is the same as the fruit of Christ, that His fruit will be produced naturally because to be a Christian is to be Christ-like. It's to be little Christ. It was first used as a derogatory term when they looked at them and, and called these people in a derogatory way that they were just little Christ because they were like him. 
You can't force it. You can't make this fruit be manifest in your life. It will come naturally as a result of being spiritually healthy. The only way you're going to be spiritually healthy is that the Spirit be in control of your life. The Christ who is within us, what we're really seeing here in these things is His character, His characteristics, His attributes being produced through the Christian. Wasn't that why He promised? Wasn't that what He said that He wanted? That greater works than these shall ye do because I go unto the Father. Why? Because I'm going away in this one body and this one flesh that I came to accomplish what I came to, to die for your sins. But now I'm going to live within each and every one of you within your bodies. Your body's going to be the temple of the Holy Spirit and we're going to accomplish the things. The fruit of the Spirit is the very attributes and character of Christ being seen through our lives. That's why the Holy Spirit is here. That was one of the reasons he came to complete that work of Christ. We find that the description of the fruit of the Spirit is simply a description of Christ. And in us, Christ-likeness. The fruit of the Spirit is one of the ways that the Holy Spirit will be presented in a life of that one that is truly filled with the Holy Spirit. And it must, of necessity, challenge us to make an honest appraisal. What fruit is being produced in our lives? What do people say? We say we're a Christian. We say... We're an apple tree. But are we producing apples? We say we're a Christian. It should be the attributes of Christ, the character of Christ that's being produced naturally in our lives. doesn't do any good to say it if it's not real. Is the fruit being produced in your life that we see described before us here? If not, then there's only one answer, folks. doesn't mean that maybe you're not saved. Maybe you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But it must mean that you're not healthy. You're not as healthy as you should be. We find that we can try all we want. We can try from all the strength that we have. But you'll never, ever, ever be successful in producing this fruit with your strength. It can't happen. It must come natural as a result of what you are and who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we know that time always seems to be beating us up and we never have enough of it. There's so much that you've given us, and we have such a a limited amount of that time together down here. Lord, we thank you for today as we've looked into your word. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to see that when the Holy Spirit lives within a person as in control of that life, Lord, that there ought to be a presentation in that life. There ought to be evidences that are seen and known and shown 
Father, if there be one here this morning that doesn't know that Christ lives within them, they don't have that confidence of knowing they've truly been born again, I pray you'd show them that and then come to recognize their need and accept the Savior. And I pray for every child of God. God, help us not to be just another church, just another Christian, just another people that are doing their religious things. God, help us to be a people that are sold out to you, that are yielded to you in every way and in every capacity. Lord, may you do through us that which we can never do ourselves. May you use us to be witnesses, to stand for the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. May you use us to be a light in the midst of all the darkness that not any of us would be seen or known for anything, Lord, but that the Lord Jesus Christ would be seen and known through us. Help us that we would be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit in such a way that as we see here, the very character of Christ himself would be the natural fruit in our lives. The people would see that which they knew was not us, but the Christ within. We give you the praise and glory for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.